Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. And a very good evening, late evening, albeit, down in Sydney. I think, Kobus, this is the first time we've gone down under uh, to I Australia. So. so we're pleased to have Unjumi Charles Okumu, who is a PhD candidate at the University of Technology, Sydney. And he's pursuing his doctorate degree on the impact of Chinese corporations' investment in sub-Saharan Africa. Unjumi, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Eric, for having me. Now, let me give a little shout out to our Facebook page because Onjumi and I first met on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Onjumi was posting some really uh, insightful comments, and it's from there that we reached out, Kobus and I, to see if we could get Onjumi to join us on the show. He said he, he made us wait. He made his wait, I think, for almost six months because he said he wanted to have parts of his thesis done uh, that he's working on at the University of Technology in Sydney. And what he's been working on is uh, summarized in what they call a three-minute thesis. And this is a competition uh, at the at the University of uh, – uh, is it the University of Technology Sydney that does this, correct? The three-minute yeah, thesis competition? And it's the whole university body of uh, Australia that does this. Got it. And this was yes. posted on YouTube. We've posted this on our Facebook page, but I'll repost this along with this podcast so you can watch it again. And here in this three-minute thesis, which is, as it says, it's like a TED Talk where the candidates and the contestants come up and make their pitch. And the competition uh, is in different fields and different subject areas. And Onjuma, you won for business, Correct. Yes, Excellent. one for the business school. And, and so let's kind of take a quick listen to the thesis, the core of what Unjumi is studying and what he's pursuing and investigating with respect to Chinese corporations in sub-Saharan Africa. Nobody cares about the plight of Africans, about schools for kids, about health care, about food, about shelter. Nobody really cares. So this African social capital might be under severe attack. So I set out to find out to what extent these corporations are building or damaging African social capital. So that's your thesis. That's your question, Onjumi. Let's hear what you said and what you found out. What is the kind of results of your research in terms of whether or not Chinese corporations are building or destroying African social capital? Um, I think... um the crux of, of my question is actually that concern that there could be systematic destruction of African social capital in the sense that there is a clear connection between um, employment or lack of it in fostering or damaging um, the, the networks that exist in a community. So um, in my research, I went across the entire breadth and deep depth of, uh, of Kenya, almost all major towns and almost um, all small towns in Kenya. And my, my aim of doing that was just to try and understand whether Kenyans at the local and at the national level really understand what is going on um, with the Chinese. And... and it's interesting to know um, the variation of the understanding as you go into the rural um, from, the, from, from the major adults. But to just cap it up all, is, um, there is a mixed ball of, of understanding. The city dwellers, the major urban dwellers, think that 
the Chinese are actually predominantly good and bad. Good in the sense that there are good roads being constructed, you know, infrastructure upgrade is happening. And there's so many um, cheap commodities and cheap goods being sold at very, very low prices. So affordability of some of the products that was far beyond um, normal Kenyan um, reach is now available. But on the other hand, they also, the urban dwellers also know very well that um, the key beneficiary, the ultimate beneficiary of all that trade is not, it's not the Kenyan. It's, it's the Chinese. So, um, Anjumi, to, just to clarify, were you um, looking? Were you dealing with empirical data about about levels of Chinese investment, or were you mostly looking at Kenyan perceptions of Chinese investment? I was actually looking more at Kenyan perspective. It, it's not um, my research is not um, quantitatively based; it's qualitatively based. So there is so much um, out there so much in the body of literature um, talking about what the Chinese are doing. And I had a clear inclination that I may not be willing to trust what literature tells me so much unless I hear and experience um, in real time what it is on the ground um, for Kenyans or for Africans. And so I went specifically to live with Kenyans in rural areas, to ask Kenyans in, in different economic sectors what their experience is with the Chinese um, investment around. So that's and what these I think. Were, so, sorry to interrupt you again. Um, these, yes. were, these were Kenyans who were, for example, working for Chinese companies or for Chinese people, or was it a, kind of a wider survey of, of how kind of general Kenyans think about, about Chinese investment? Yeah, this was a, a wide, a wide general, um, general perspective of Kenyans, but I also had a few Kenyans who actually work for Chinese corporations in construction or in alliance with some Chinese con um, companies that import Chinese products into Kenya. Um, and so I had to interview those, um, those people and I also interviewed uh, across sectional of people, including entrepreneurs, including um, government representatives, including uh, unemployed Kenyans, including some specific um, um, professionals like finance, bankers. So I had, I had a cross-sectional interview trying to target almost all sectors, including legal sector, to just try and get a feel of what their experience is with the Chinese investment in their backyard. I guess I, you know, your three-minute thesis was rather provocative, and I want to pick up on a couple yes. of the key points and even some of the, the points that you've raised today. One, it seems to me that you're using the words Kenya and Africa interchangeably. Is that a fair yeah. critique? Because it, the research That's doesn't extend critique. beyond Kenya, and yet... So, okay, so we're talking really about Kenya here, not about Africa. That, that's a fair critique. Okay. Um, the initial concept, conception of my thesis is supposed to address the entire sub-Saharan Africa. So my first level of data collection is in Kenya. My next level will be Uganda, Tanzania, Southern Sudan, all the way um, to try and cover at least 
10, 20 um, Sub-Saharan Africa countries. So at the moment, um, the information that I have, the data that I have, um, in so many ways, varies pretty well with what literature says in terms of what the impacts are in the entire Sub-Saharan Africa. So using Kenya and Sub-Saharan Africa interchangeably um, is a fair critique, but okay. I think that based on the data I have, it is more Kenyan experience. Okay. Well, then the core of what you say, and this is a quote, uh, the African way of life is under attack by Chinese corporations. Chinese corporations only care about profit. And I guess what strikes me about that is, and again, I've said this many times and I'll say it again, I have no reason to defend Chinese corporations. I've got no vested interest here. However, it strikes me that Chinese corporations are behaving as all corporations do. What corporations don't care only about profit? I mean, let's pick any of the other national corporations operating in Africa or anywhere else around the world. And the only thing they're driving for is profit. So I'm just wondering, in what way are we talking about the Chinese specifically? And what way are we talking about globalized corporations that serve shareholders over every other stakeholder interest? In the specific context of Chinese corporations now in Kenya, um, in in comparison to other corporations from the U.S. or from the U.K., what Kenyan told me clearly is that most Western-based corporations are principally guided by their home legal system. And so, therefore, when they come to the Kenyan market, they observe certain rules very, very carefully, like you have to have a certain amount of local content, so they employ local people. You have to do um, right by the environment, so they try, or they do right by the environment. But the general point of profitability, yes, all of them are driven by profitability, but in terms of who does more for the local, um, the scale favors more Western corporations, and it's again with the Chinese corporation. So in that way, the Chinese are purely and solely driven by profit and nothing else. So, in you know, kind of you in terms, you um, finalize your talk saying that the real future of Africa lies in in youth. Um, yeah. Can't one make the can't one make the argument that the kind of um, work that the Chinese corporations are doing, especially in putting in four G internet and mobile phone networks, is actually empowering youth in Africa to, to an extent that Western corporations just aren't doing. That's that's a fair point. Um, that's a fair point because technology, as we know, um, the pervasive um, and proliferated technology and mobile phones in particular in, in Sub-Saharan Africa is empowering the youth. But at the same time, I think the youth need to understand that that is not the only power that they need to have, but they need to wake up and claim the stake that is embedded in their economic activity that are taking place in their backyard, that having a mobile phone could be a way to mobilize us together and demand more of the stake that is rightfully theirs. So in, in terms of saying that the Chinese are actually empowering the youth, I would agree with that, but it's just not the technology that is all that is required. I think there is economic injustice going on and the youth should be able to you know, stand up 
and take their rightful place. And this does not necessarily mean that when they do this, it's purely against the Chinese corporations. No. It's also very clear that the African or Kenyan youth understand that part of uh, what they need to do is to get better governance, to get better leadership, is to get better systems um, at the domestic level in place. So it's not necessarily let's riot or let's hold or let's stop the Chinese from coming. It's more trying to stand up and say we need our country to be responsible to us, regardless of who's coming to uh, invest in our in our in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Let me try and channel um, a Chinese point of view on this and then have you respond. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, I won't pretend to be Chinese. I don't speak on behalf of them. But just let me just put the devil's advocate here. So you contend that Chinese corporations are destroying African social capital. You contend that because China's legal systems don't offer the same types of enforcements, protections, all the different things that Western legal systems do, that Chinese corporations in Africa uh, are not as beneficial. So let me now kind of be uh, Hong Lei, who is the foreign ministry spokesperson for uh, for the Chinese government. On the one hand, let's take a look at what China's been able to do, looking at the way that the West has engaged Africa for a half a century since the end of colonial, colonialism, putting in a trillion dollars of aid that has largely benefited elites. Let's look at the geopolitics mm-hmm. during the Cold War, where a trillion dollars of American and Soviet money went into the likes of Mobutu Sese Seiko and created the monsters that destroyed yeah. modern-day African governance. And let's talk yeah. about the way that the, the, the billions of dollars of, Afri- of Chinese development money that's building roads, infrastructure, sure, as you and Howard French contend, most of that money is, being, uh, is benefiting uh, lobbying and domestic interests back in China. But at the end of the day, there is a road that's yeah. there. It may be a crappy road, but there's a road. Yeah. There's a hospital. There's a dam. There's cellular networks. And the West did none of that for, for decades. Uh, Africans are incapable of doing that because of the lack of financial capital needed to do infrastructure on that scale. And so yet, paralleling the rise of China in Africa is the surge of Africa's regional economies that now are 10 or 11 of the fastest growing economies in the world uh, are African economies. And yet to separate China from that economic growth is disingenuous. It's possible, but it's disingenuous. Now, uh, China is... China took down tariffs on 4,000 products that the European Union, the Japanese, and the United States would not let into their countries. 4,000 agricultural commodity products. And yet here you are talking about the destruction of African social capital when in fact the Chinese have given more of their own taxpayer money, have opened their markets, have done more to contribute to African economic development than 50 years of Western engagement in the post-colonial era. How do you respond to that? I think that I can try to dismantle um, that genuine concern that, that you have. Um, and it's true, what you say is very true, that the Western post-colonial era has seen very, very limited um, growth or very limited um, relationship advancement with Sub-Saharan or African continent. But I also um, want to, to agree with something. Um, the Chinese have been able to open up their country and they've done 
um, all the trillion dollars into the economies in Pakistan, Africa, but at what cost? If you have if you have a road going into a village or coming through a village that doesn't have water, a village that doesn't have schools, a village that doesn't have hospitals, what is how good is that road in the short term or in the long term? Now, what, what exactly do the majority of Africans or Kenyans really want right now in the rural? Is it a good road that they don't have shoes to even walk on, that they don't have bicycles to even ride on, that they don't even have cars to ride on? Or do they want health care? Or do they want food security? Or do they want uh, a good life for their kids? So just coming and giving us a nice road or a semi-important road and, and, and say that the Western were not able to do that for 50 years. That sounds good, but long term, what's the sustainability of that? What's the importance of that road? How different are they uh, from the Western in the long term? That's one. Two, in the long term, who are really benefiting from Chinese investment in Sub-Saharan Africa or Kenya. Who are they? Considering that all these contracts are awarded, not in a transparent way, not in a clear way, you know, the rule of law is not followed. And, you know, leadership is very keen to make sure that these contracts are awarded to Chinese in my thinking and in my humble opinion, there is, there is a clear benefactor both in China and in, in Africa and in Kenya for this matter. And who so, um, so would who you then suggest, so, sorry to interrupt you, would, would you then suggest that the real, where, where should the real change take place? Should it take place in the way that China does, does business with the rest of the world or should it take place in the way that Africa does business with the rest of the world? Both, both. The way China does business with the West is different from the way China does business in, in Africa, in Sub-Saharan Africa. And the change should also happen at the local level. We, as the people, need to demand of good governance of our country. We need to demand of good leadership of our country. We need to demand of institutions of our country. That is our responsibility, and we can't shuck it and turn around and say, oh, things are not working well. In the same, in the, in the same token, the Chinese should try or aspire to exercise the same restraint or the same rule of law, the same um, governance as they do in the, Western, in, the, in the Western market. In Africa, because of the weaknesses that I've just mentioned, the Chinese come to profit. They just come to get all the profits they can because they know they can sort change. They can go around the law. They can do things that no one will, will, will ask the most. And no one, no one back in their country will even complain about. So change needs to happen on both sides of the stick, on the African side and on the Chinese side. I think that way, 
Onjumi Okumu is a PhD candidate at the University of Technology in Sydney, and he is pursuing a very, very provocative dissertation uh, about uh, whether or not Chinese corporations are building or destroying African social capital. But he's also part of this growing chorus that is calling for a rethink of the relationship that Africans, particularly Kenyans, are having with China. And this is something we're hearing across the continent, so it's a very interesting perspective. Agree? Disagree? Follow uh, Ojumi's lead and his example by participating on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Ojumi, we're, we're so grateful that you made time today to join us and that you participate actively on our page. If people are interested in following you and kind of thinking about and hearing what you're reading and writing these days, is there any way they can follow you on social media or, uh, or read some of your writing? Oh, yeah, you can um, get me on my Facebook page, that's um, on Juni Child or on Twitter at on Juni. Um, yeah, you can, you can read all my writing um, online. Actually, most of them are online. If you give you my name, you can, you can be able to read all the, um, all the writing that I do. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so Onjumi is O-N-J-U-M-I, uh, Okumu, yeah. O-K-U-M-U. So for those of you looking to do a yes. Google search, that's the best way to do it. Hey, Kobus, if people yes. want to follow you and uh, want to Google you, what's the best way they can stay in touch? You'll see me on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash China Africa Project. And I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And I'm on Twitter as well over at E-O-Lander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R, tweeting the top China and Africa headlines almost every day. So it's a good way to stay in touch with what we're doing. Also, if you want to follow us on this podcast, uh, hey, iTunes is by far the best way to do it. Just search for China Africa Project in iTunes. But we're also on Stitcher, SoundCloud, the BlackBerry Network and South Africa and so many other places, basically all over the web. So you can, we're pretty easy to find. Uh, and don't miss our blog at ChinaAfricaProject.com. Uh, we'd love to hear your comments on some of the pieces that we're doing and uh, all the different projects that are underway here with us at the China Africa Project. So we'll be back again very soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> 